Praise God for what a great worship service so far this morning. Like, I've been... This has been... Some, I mean, sometimes it's just okay, but today... <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 51 this morning. Uh, in fact, we were there last week, um, we'll be there this week, and then we'll be there again uh, next week as we kind of close out uh, Psalm 51. And we're, we're talking about something uh, these three weeks that uh, we talked about last week, and maybe this was true of you or maybe not, um, the idea of confession. And the thing that might be true of you or not is that maybe you have an understanding of what confession is, a, a biblical understanding of what confession is, or maybe because of your faith background it was never really talked about at all, or maybe you have zero faith background, and the idea of expressing that you've been uh, done bad things to God is just a foreign thought to how you were raised or the family you grew up in, or maybe you have some teaching uh, from a faith background that had some good intentions but didn't really quite make sense as you read the Bible. And so what we're doing as we uh, work through the book of Psalms, or actually just the Psalm 51, is we are understanding what God has designed uh, as a mechanism for us to tell God that we know what we did was sin, and for him to let us know that what we did was sin, and for that sin to be recognized and taken care of. Last week we talked about the reality that uh, salvation without confession is hallucination. In other words, if you believe that, or you were taught that uh, coming to faith in Christ you don't really actually have to um, know that you were a sinner or uh, that you, in your salvation now, salvation is done, or uh, confession is done with, you did it, and so now you just kind of have good positive thoughts and, and, and try not to think about the bad things in your life. Where there might be some room for that as far as trusting God with uh, what he has said to be true about you more than what your doubts say about yourself, there is truth knowing that if you don't have confession as a part of your salvation, you're, you're just kind of making something up that isn't consistent with Scripture. In fact, think about like your walk with Christ. You began in according to Scripture with coming to the reality that like you are a sinner, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that coming to faith in Christ began with the confession of sin and the, and the receiving of God's gift of salvation, that we have a God who says, you're a sinner, that's great, because I'm a savior who saves Sinners. Jesus said it like this. He said, um, I've not come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. Those that are sick are the ones that need help. I've come for those who are lost. I've come for those who have gone 
far off. The whole Bible is a story of God redeeming lost, sinful people. And so to come to the conclusion that salvation does not require confession, then you're just making something up that's not in the Bible. But with that, salvation with confession, last week we said, is how we are sanctified. It is sanctification. It's the process by which we not only begin as a follower of Christ, but we continue to become more and more like follower, like Jesus as a follower of Christ. There is a process in our life as a Christian through confession that as we walk in our life, we realize that we have sinned or we have been sinning in a way we didn't even know we didn't know or our sin is deeper than we're even aware. And we now have a mechanism to give that over to God, to be more like Jesus in that. And that is the mechanism of confession. In fact, I said this and I wrote it down this week so I didn't botch it like I did last week. But C.S. Lewis has been really helpful in his writings for me coming to this truth reality from Scripture He says that the true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. And if you're a follower of Christ, as you go on longer and longer, you realize like, man, I had no idea how messed up I was when Jesus loved me. Like, I understand, yeah, I was an enemy of God and God loved me. Even when I was a sinner, he died for me and uh, I was dead and now I'm alive and things that we sometimes become accustomed to hearing, and so it begins to lose its weight. But the truth is, as you continue as a follower of Christ and think like, man, there was way more behind that lie than I thought. Man, it was way deeper than I even imagined. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was like 16 years old, um, I did a lot of dumb stuff when I was 16 years old, but this is one of the things. I had my license for about three weeks. And I thought I was cool. I was, uh, my mom, uh, a new skate park. I grew up in Florida, surfing and skating. So a new skate park had opened up in St. Augustine. And three weeks after getting my license, I said, Mom, can I just take some friends down? You know, we'll be back by, by 5 o'clock. It'll be okay. And so I begged her and begged her. And she said, okay. So she handed me over the keys to a 95 Ford Windstar. <laughs> Which was sweet, right? It's a minivan, which now, like, I want one. But back then, I just wanted to drive anything. And so I was super excited about that. It had a thing where you push the button and the door opens all on its own, which was awesome. And so uh, I got this, this white Windstar, and we headed down to the skate park. And on the way back... Uh, long story short, I had to get over, and so I just went, you know, I just, I just went fast for a little bit and got over and then got on the interstate, and then in my rearview mirror, uh, these, I saw these blue flashing lights, right? Now, y- y- y'all, y'all know what happens when you see blue flashing lights in your rearview mirror. It doesn't matter if you're, like, parked in the Walmart parking lot. You hit your brakes, <laughs> just try to slow down and check your speedometer. Like, you can know I'm not speeding and nonetheless, it makes you kind of check. And so uh, I got pulled over, and uh, they were obviously coming for me, and he kind of began to edge behind me, like, and I'm like, well, I'm really getting pulled over here. This is my first time getting pulled over. And so I pulled over, and I was trying to remember, like, what am I supposed to do? I, I don't know. I pulled my license out. And so 
uh, the officer walked up, and I, I know I give cops a hard time, but I do. I, I love, I, I do love our, our police, and I'm, I'm thankful for them, and I'm thankful for state troopers. Uh, but uh, they, he pulled up, and I rolled the window down, and I'm asking my buddies, I'm like, what do I, what do, I do? You know, what, I don't, uh, and how do I get out of this? And um, they were awesome. None of them had licenses. But they said things like, um, just I don't, tell them you're going the, the you know, going with the flow of traffic. That seems to be a thing you say. And so, I mean, they can't possibly pull you over if you're going the, with the flow of traffic. Or just tell them, like, you were going only eight over. Because apparently you can't get a ticket if you're only going eight or nine over. I don't know. And so these are things teenagers tell themselves. And we still tell ourselves today. And so, uh, so as the window went down... Um, the cops, the, the trooper said license and registration. And I said, here you go, sir. I'm so sorry. Um, and she said, uh, she said, I'm going to, um, do you know why you're speeding? And so I figured, oh, that was uh, strike one. Just called the ma'am a sir. So that didn't work out well. And so, uh, so I said, I, I, I didn't know I was speeding. And she said, well, how fast do you think you were going? And I knew how fast I was going, right? We all know how fast we were going. And so I did the math. I think it was 45 mile an hour zone. I think I was only going 53. 53. I was going 53 miles an hour, the eight over rule. And so um, so she said uh, a little bit higher, 54, a little bit higher. <laughs> like, this is like, I'm in ticket zone now, apparently, in my mind. Like 55, she said a little higher. I said, I don't know. Like, she, she said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to go back to my car, and I'll be back, and you think about how fast you went. And if you're right, um, well, you just try to guess. And so she went back, and I didn't know what to do. And so we were talking, like, what do I, how fast do you think we should say if we say we really were in trouble? If not, All right, so then she came back, and she said, how fast do you think you're going? I said, I don't. 65 and she she said yeah um that's close enough uh i'll go ahead and write you a ticket for for nine over have a good day now i I tell you all that to say i went home and uh, tried to hide it from my parents and then a a letter came in the mail and something about going to court i don't know and so (laughs) i had to go with a guardian um and so all that to say um uh the reason why i tell you that is um just examine my sin for a minute. Like, uh, examine just for a second my 16-year-old self and all of the things that had to be true or not true for me to be pulled over and then on top of that to continue to dig and dig and dig and dig. You see, when we begin to examine our own sin in our lives, when we grow as a follower of Christ, or when you grow as an adult in every other area, and you realize, I didn't even know what I didn't know, and what was driving me, the reason I was doing the wrong thing, is because I was wrong. (laughs) And I was wrong because of deeper reasons, and those because of deeper reasons. That I not only was informed by faulty understanding around me about the law, but I was breaking the law myself. I was lying about it the whole time. Something within me thought I could hide it from my parents, even though that was not possible the way that the system 
worked out. I even tried to schmooze my way out and messed up the, the very beginning by calling a ma'am a sir, you know, and I, that may not be a thing anymore, but it was then. And so in that, like, just just the, 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 the depravity of that one situation was much deeper than I understood, but she totally understood it and got me. You want to know how the story ended? Yeah, I got off with the ticket. But that's not the point. The point is this. That when it comes to, when it comes to our sin, when we become face-to-face with our sin, that, by the way, don't sin. The pastor got off with his ticket. Like, that's not how it works. Got plenty of other ones. Don't use that as an excuse to speed either. But my point is this. When it comes to sin, we have so much more to deal with than we can possibly ever know. And so when it comes to meeting the standard that God has, so last week I introduced a word called sanctification. That means set apart or being set apart like Jesus. That's what the word sanctified means. This week we're going to see from the text that salvation without confession is simply deception. Like you, you can try to... Live a life apart from Christ if you're not a Christian, or in Christ as a Christian, and ignore all of the realities that you must confess your sin so that you may be forgiven and find forgiveness of sin. You can deceive yourself and those around you in doing that, but salvation with Confession is the pathway to justification. In other words, you just have to know as a follower of Christ that your sin is way deeper than you realize. In fact, it was so deep and so bad that though you have not died from your sin yet, and I know that because you're here, right? Though you have not died from your sin yet, God had to kill his son for your sin. That sin is so much greater than we're aware of. And to deceive ourselves is just plain dumb. That salvation without confession is deception, but salvation with confession is justification. That is It is the way that we tell God, we know you have a standard and we are living as if we, uh, and we are living and not meeting the standard. And God says, this is the way now that I raise you up to meet the standard. That's what justified means. It's a court term. It means that this person has met the standard that everyone declares he is justified. And so we're going to see that what David is going through in the context of Psalm 51 is he's coming face to face with his sin and realizing last week, I would encourage you to go online and listen, that what he did with Bathsheba and his, her husband Uriah and that whole process was really much deeper than he could ever hide. And the prophet Nathan calls him out and he begins to confess these things about his sin, and one true thing about God. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm chapter, in Psalm 51, verses 3 through 6 this morning. 
we're going to see why we confess sin and how beautiful of a thing this is to know that God has created a mechanism in verses 1 and 2 because of his great mercy and his abounding a steadfast love for us that he has created this mechanism that when we come to the reality that we have not met the standard as a follower of Christ, and when we're not a follower of Christ, and you come to the reality that you have missed the standard, that God has made a way for you to be justified, for you to be declared as having met the standard perfectly, and he's done it through Jesus Christ, then there's no need to deceive yourself about that. That salvation without confession is deception, but salvation with confession, if we can embrace this, is this beautiful reality that God has a standard. I have not met it. There is a problem, and he can declare that I have met it. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm 51, beginning in verse 3. In fact, take a look at Psalm 51, looking at verse 3, and we'll see this first thing that David points out about his sin, and we'll begin to understand why we confess sin. You see, maybe you were raised in a background where you were banking on the good things that you did and were reminding God about them in order to stand as justified. In other words, convincing him you've met the standard. But Psalm 51 is going to help us see that our sin is so much greater that any standard we would or wouldn't have met cannot possibly be met because of our sin. Look at Psalm 51, verse 3, and see what David says here. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Now, look at where, where David begins when it comes face to face with his sin. He is finally confronted with the reality that it is my sin. It's my sin. That like, your, your sin is not somebody else's fault. Now, I say that with the caveat of, I know that people are cruel, and I don't know your background or your story. And I know that terrible people do bad things. And so I'm not saying that everything that's ever happened to you in your life is your fault. But I will say that your sin is indeed your fault. David could have had a whole bunch of reasons why he thought it was a good idea to look upon a woman that wasn't his wife. That was the wife, uh, uh, that was the wife of one of his servants that he was warned about from everyone around him. That he took and slept with anyways and then got pregnant and then denied it and then got her, her husband to come home and then got him drunk a couple of times and then got him killed. Like, I'm sure he had a great reason for that, right? But like, at the end of the day, David comes to the conclusion, not, oh my goodness, well, there are all these reasons. I was alone and I was on a rooftop and she looked good and I just, it was my weakness and like, all of these things. No, at the end of the day, David is confronted with his sin and his response is, oh my goodness, this is, this is my sin. Like, I'm not innocent of this. And this is really hard for us. I mean, just, just being honest, this is hard for us as followers of Christ. 
Like, we, we live in an age where we ought to have an opinion about how and why we did what we did, and it is right, and you can't tell me I'm wrong. But when it comes to sin, what you think about what is right and wrong does not matter. What God has declared is right and wrong is all that matters. It is his standard. David says, it is my sin. And here's what David's doing and what we have to come to when it comes to confessing our sin. Listen, y'all, when it comes to our sin as followers of Christ, we just can't simply pass the blame. Like, we don't get to pin that on others. Some in this room have been given a really bad view of God because you were raised around people who confessed Jesus and continually blamed their ungodly behavior on other factors, and it was never their fault. And you've just got to know the beautiful biblical reality that your sin is yours is going to be so good when we get to verse 6. In fact, on top of not not only the, the fact that it's your sin, we're going to now have even three more kind of dark ideas about sin. So you just got to bear with me till we get to verse 6. Can you do that? If not, it's fine, but I'm going to do it anyway. Just bear with me till we get to verse 6. But the first one is heavy. Your sin is your sin. Imagine in that scenario with the state trooper, if I said, well, Dane in the back was telling me I could speed, that would be fine. I still have to pay the ticket, or should have, right? I mean, just like, it doesn't make any sense. It is indeed your sin. Look at the second thing now he's confronted with in verse 3. Not only was it his sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, uh, but the second half, and my, my sin is ever before me. Like literally what David is describing to God in this confession of sin is, this is mine, and this thing is all around me. It continues to be in front and behind me, and I simply cannot tame it. That the idea here of it always being before me is that it's not like, well, it's uh, not just that, well, it's, it's always kind of in front of my eyes. And we, y'all, we know when we have sin in our life how hard we try to block it out, but it's still just there, right? We might push it to the periphery, but we can see it everywhere we turn. But also this idea that, like, I can't move it away from me. That you... We know that in our sin, we can't do anything about it. That it it wasn't the behavior in the first place that caused the behavior. It was like the thing under the thing. It was the sin that caused us to have this behavior that we now have to deal with. That is always before me that it cannot be mastered and it cannot be tamed. I mean, do you... Do you know what it's, it's like to have sin and try to master it or ignore it? Whoa, we're going to get real for just a minute. We all know what that's like. We're like hoping that they don't pick up our phone so they don't find it or whatever. Or we're asking ourselves the question, did I accidentally post or should I go back and delete? Or what if I didn't? Or if I didn't delete? Or man, is the boss going to find me? Or what if someone looks at this report and this report and puts the two together and Man, we've, we've been there before. With the true reality that, we, that it's our sin. It's like always before us and we can't reel it back in because like a, 
tube of toothpaste. Once it's out, it's out. You can't put that back in. I have a two-year-old. I know what that's like, right? Man, that it is always before me. Not only is it always before me, but continuing on now in verse 3, or in verse 4, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. This reality that sin is ultimately, ultimately, ultimately against God. Now, David had sinned against many people in this process, hadn't he? Well, there's the obvious Bathsheba, and then there's the obvious Uriah. That kind of didn't work out well. There was his whole counsel that he ignored and the processes that he overran so that he could get what he wanted when he wanted it. But then on top of that, on top of all of that, when David is confronted in his sin, his reminder is, it's not just against them. God, this is ultimately against you, against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. There's a beautiful thing that comes to view whenever we realize that who we've sinned against is God. There's a beautiful work in our soul when we come to the point to say, the standard that I had given myself into is not God's standard. There's a beautiful work that happens for those around us when they see imperfect people confess that they are not perfect and serve a perfect God who forgives, that they have not met the standard, that it is God's standard that that I have not held up, not mine. That David says, look, I've sinned against you, God. Your words and your standard is right. I am not. What a testimony that would be to those around us, to our family, parents, if we could look at our kids and say, listen, what mom and dad did was not right. That is not God's standard. You got to know I failed to miss that mark. I was wrong. God is right. You still need to honor and respect me. But I was wrong and God was right. Imagine the testimony to your neighbors, if you could help turn the corner on the ways they know your imperfections, on your coworkers, on the way they know your imperfections, if you could turn the corner on thinking like, this isn't just bad against other people, but you've got to know I'm a Christian and that, that's not God's standard. That's me failing to miss it. Like what a beautiful thing, just freeing as a follower of Christ to know that I don't have to try to pretend that what I'm doing is God's standard, but rather I've created and know a way that I can say that that's God's standard and I have missed it. And that's what David is doing. He's letting everyone around him know that I have sinned against God. I have not met his standard. His words are true. My actions are not. And then the fourth thing he comes into view with with his sin Going into verse 5, is something we all know to be true. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother 
conceive me. David says, look, I, I was born able, and, able to sin and sinning. Like, I was born busted up and broken. Like, why are we busted up and broken? We were born like that. What experiences you had growing up may have shifted so much in life, but the end reality would still be that you would sin. And so what do we do with this? Like, what does David do with this? These beautiful, horrible, ugly, overwhelming truths that what I've done is my fault. It's my sin. I've missed the mark. This thing is out of control. It cannot be tamed. I cannot handle this. What do we do when we see that this thing is ever before me? That's ultimately against God. That is a lifelong battle that I have and will always face. What do we do with this? And we, we confess it. We confess our sin and we counter it with what David does, with this beautiful, biblical truth. You see, our sin is so ugly. It is so ugly, y'all. But God's grace is so much more beautiful than your ugly sin could ever be. In fact, look at how he goes in verse 6. He says, Behold... So literally, he just, tore, he just poured out the ugly, beautiful reality of the sin in his life. And now he begins to turn and say, But behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In other words... In the midst of his broken and depraved state, as one of God's people, like David, man, king after God's own heart, like David slew Goliath, like David, God's chosen king, confesses his sin. Man, it is mine. It's all around me. I, I, it, is against, it is against you. Like I've been battling sin my entire life. Oh, but God, I know that your desire for me, that you delight, that you have out loud joy. That's what delight, delight means. You delight, you have out loud joy in the very, in the truth, in the very inner of me. That's what brings you joy. That when in the very core of who I am, I am who you're telling me who I am. That in the very core of who I am, your truth is more true than my sin. And he does this, and he teaches me wisdom in the secret heart. This is a Hebrew parallelism. What David is getting at over and over, he says the same thing twice in a row. That God is joyous when who I am is who he said I ought to be 
in Scripture. And now this beautiful process is going to begin next week in verse 7 about the reconciliation that comes through confession. That you in your sin is not where God left you. That God desires and wants to and has designed you for joy in Him and the very core of who you are. And He desires to do that by driving truth into the very center of you. The very center of us that causes us to sin is replaced by His beautiful work through confession, through sanctification, through justification, where He declares now that you have met the standard and we as followers of Christ have a way to have out loud joy in a God whom we did defy but now has out loud joy in us. He can delight in you. Like if you're in here this morning and you're thinking like, you don't know who I am and what I've done and where I've been. God, I mean, the place didn't burn. I thought it was going to burn down when I came in, right? But it didn't. Look, we're here, right? But like, if you're that in that place or you're just thinking like there's this area of my life that like, I don't know, God, I, I just want to hide from him. I want you to know that like God has created a way for you to make him delight. Like a kid who runs into the room to delight. Like a sheep that's been lost and he goes after and he finds it and he has out loud joy. Like someone who loses a part of their dowry or inheritance and they search all over and then they finally find it and there's like out loud joy. Like a kid who's like far off and has abandoned his home and told his dad, you're dead to me. And when he sees him, he runs at him because he's glad to have him back. Out loud joy. That in the depth and depravity of your sin where you have failed to meet the standard. Confession is the way that we say, God, it is mine. It is against you. I cannot tame it. I've been dealing with this my whole life. And God responds and says, yes, now I can bring joy into your life. Now I can bring joy into your life. See, confession is this beautiful thing as a Christian. Where we take the sin that has ensnared us, that weighs us down, that destroys our soul, and God replaces that with beautiful, beautiful perfection and says, I now delight in you. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Well, first, you've got you to come back next week because next week we're going to go into verse 7 because that's what comes after verse 6. And we're going to see this whole process of reconciliation and just how great Jesus is. We're going to see how by God's work and plan that the gospel of confession is the good news that he has made a way that though your sin is big, God's grace is so much bigger. That you may have be, be bearing the weight of sin in your life that's the size of the Titanic but the ocean of God's grace will swallow that thing up in a heartbeat and not even blink. And I'm telling you, you've got to come back next week. But for this week, what in the world that we do we do? Well, would you be so courageous as to come to the conclusion with God that your sin is your sin? And not just like... I. God, help me like, not to do this anymore. But no, like, who I am in this area is not who you want me to be. And that, that's, that's who I am. Like, would, you, would you be courageous enough 
to come before God and say, like, your, my sin is, is my sin. Would you be courageous enough to agree with God and he already knows that, like, man, I, I can't reel this thing back in even if I tried. Now, this is beyond me. Like, would you be courageous enough this week just to come to the place where David is and says, like, man, I know that this isn't just, like, my sin, that I have been treating others bad or whatever, and I shouldn't have slept with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. Like, like of course you shouldn't have done that. But, like, this was against you. Like, I, I failed to meet your standard because of sin. Like, would you be courageous enough to tell God what he already knows about your sin? Like, you, you were born struggling with sin. Like, no one... <laughs> I promise in our preschool department right now, no one is over there being like, okay, so today when you go home, you know, and your mom says, it's time for a nap, say no, right? <laughs> Like no one teaches your kids that. They just do it. They do. They figure out how to, they, they just like, it's in them to hide and disobey and steal and lie. And it's like cute when they're young, but man, we just, we do that naturally, don't we? Like, would you be courageous enough to say about your sin what God does? And then the second thing, Would you be courageous enough to ask God to help you believe what he knows can be true about you in confession of sin? Would you be courageous enough to ask God, having come to the conclusion that you have not met his standard, would you be courageous enough to say, God, but you, because of the gospel, can make it so that I have met this perfectly. And you can have full joy in me. Like for me personally, that first part about knowing I'm a sinner, that's easy. I mean, that's, that's easy. I haven't had to ever really try to convince someone that they have failed to meet the perfect standard, right? It's easy. One question. Are you perfect? No. Bam. Failed to meet the standard. The really hard part is that second part. To know that God has out loud, out loud joy in the very core of who I am. When the truth is in the core of who I am. And he has created a way for me to have that. He does that. And he does that through the gospel. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's go to the Lord and respond for a bit. We're going to sing one more song, then we'll have some announcements at the end. But if you're a follower of Christ, I'd ask you, would you be courageous enough to agree with God about your sin? what he knows about your sin. You know, that it's yours, that's it's out of control, you can't tame it. You've been dealing with it since you were a kid, that it's ultimately against him.
and then turn the corner and say, God, now help me believe that you, even in this that I try to hide and ignore, man, you, you can see me and you do see me, see me because of Jesus as having met the standard perfectly. If you're not a follower of Christ, I'd ask you the same questions. If today you would say that I, I'm realizing for the first time, like my, I have sinned against God. Easy question. Are you perfect? No. Great. You have sinned against God. Welcome to the group. And for the first time, you're realizing, like, goodness, I can't do anything about my sin, even if I tried. I try to do good, but the bad is still there. Man, I need something even greater than my ability. You think, like, it's beginning to realize now that your sin was ultimately against God, and that you've been a sinner since you were born. Like every age and stage of life, it just maybe looks a little bit differently or whatever, but you've, you've been a sinner since you were born. I want you to know if that's you and God's opening your eyes and ears to see that for the first time, that there's now this beautiful truth that God has made a way for you to be declared as having met this perfect standard that fancy word justified. And here's how he does that. I'm going to share with you what Christians in the room know, and I, I hope that you would hear this. That he, Jesus, this is God's plan, became your sin. And he never even knew what sin was. wasn't even a part of his life. So that he became sin who knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh man, Tim, another big word, right? Righteous, it's another word. It's related to justification. It means meeting the standard. So maybe let me paraphrase it like this. That if you're in here today and you realize you're a sinner, I want you to know that God has made a way for you to be seen as having met the standard by sending Jesus to become your sin so that you could meet the standard in him. He swapped places with you. You see, God, David comes to the conclusion that, man, God is holy and he delights that for me, but I'm not holy and that's a problem. And next week we're going to see that the problem is solved through Jesus Christ, but I don't want to wait till next week. This week, this morning, if you are in here and you've never given your life to Christ, would you take a moment to tell God that you are a sinner and he'll agree with you? Would you ask him to forgive you of your sin and he will? and believe on Jesus Christ to be saved. If that's you, as we sing this last song, I'll be up front. Gary will be up front, maybe. I'll be up front for sure. We'd be happy to talk with you about that, but for everybody else, let's respond appropriately to the Lord.
coming to the place where we can confess our sin and walking out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him than when we came. Let's stand together.